Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. And for those that may not know, June 24th is the Fête Nationale du Québec, the Quebec national holiday known to many as Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. This is a really big deal in Quebec, and it remains a really big deal for those immigrants who came from Quebec and settled in New England. And to help us explore the history and significance of Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day, we have again requested the assistance of the French-Canadian Legacy's favorite Englishman, James <laughs> Mile. And for those, most of you will remember that James is a return guest to the podcast. James spent four years as the coordinator of Franco-American Collections at the University of Southern Maine. He co-authored the book. Franco-Americans of Lewiston, Auburn. He runs a really great blog, Parlez-vous American. And he was all over the excellent documentary, The Home Road, which everyone needs to take out. So, James, welcome back to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thanks for having me back, guys. Now, James, I think most people know the story of how St. Patrick's Day became a big deal to the Irish. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure it is very well known why St. John Baptiste Day became a big deal to the French Canadians. So uh, we kind of like to start with the origin. Where does Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day originally come from? Yeah, um, so it's a pretty old holiday. Um, it seems to have its roots kind of actually in, you know, the earliest parts of what we would think of as French history and culture. So back in, you know, the early, um, probably goes back to sort of some pre-Christian um, Celtic rituals. Um, and, you know, because it's celebrated on June the 24th, um, it's very close to the summer solstice and probably incorporates, you know, some of those traditions from that period, just in the same way that, you know, we think there are, you know, in our modern Easter traditions, there are some of those Celtic pagan roots and in our Christmas traditions, there are probably some of those mixed up in the Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day um, traditions as well. Certainly celebrated in France uh, long before uh, the French came to Canada. Um, and some of those early French uh, colonists came, when they came, they brought uh, the Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day celebrations with them. Pretty early on in the, from the early 1600s are some of those first mentions of Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day being celebrated uh, in New France and what became Canada. Cool. So is it one of these issues of uh, there's kind of like a pagan celebration, all of a sudden we have this Christianity thing moving in. Let's kind of almost meld the two together. We take what was a pagan celebration, and now all of a sudden we assign it to a saint. And now we have a summer holiday called Saint-Jean-Baptiste. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's almost certainly like some of that going on, I think, in like melding the two traditions together. And I think that's one of the reasons why. Um, I mean, it's a little one of the one of the things that's kind of interesting is sort of how it caught on in French Canada, particularly. You know, it was I think it was a pretty big celebration in some of the parts of France that the, the a bulk of the colonists came from. So some of the early settlers of Canada, a lot of them came either from Brittany or from Normandy um, and those parts of sort of northwest France, which is where it seems like Saint-Jean-Baptiste day was particularly um significant and so that may be one reason uh, i mean officially um the first patron saint of canada was supposed to be um saint joseph saint joseph's day is a different day which i don't even know because it's not widely celebrated among <laughs> uh, french canadians um but that is a separate holiday um and you know the patron saint of france at the time was uh, i believe was saint denis much later on becomes saint joan of arc um but yeah so saint jean baptiste was not particularly supposed to be the patron saint of Canada or of um, the French at the time, 
did become, for whatever reason, sort of became adopted by um, French Canadians. And it may be because, you know, this was a pretty big holiday in those local areas of France where a lot of the early settlers came from. Very cool. Now, how what would a normal celebration day look like? especially early on in New France. Like, I'm assuming we're going to church. Uh, what, what other kind of things do we happen, have happening on an early St. Jean-Baptiste day? Yeah, yeah. So obviously there's kind of a, there is a religious element to it, and there's probably um, a particular church service um, and a mass. Um, but, you know, some of the other things we see mentioned are a bonfire is often a big part of it. And there are some mentions about, uh, I think in some of the earliest recordings in the Jesuit histories about the first Saint Jean Baptiste Day celebrations, they talk about, you know, firing cannons and that sort of thing to celebrate it. You know, folks might have had a special meal, something like that. Um, and it may have been a day off from work from a lot of folks as well. There's some early accounts of even uh, the early uh, French explorers when they were um, sailing off the coast of uh, what we now know as Newfoundland, um, you know, they, they took a break for Saint Jean Baptiste Day. So, in many oh, of the, cool. you know, kind of in this early colonial period, these days are often marked by the fact that it was a day off from work, particularly. Gotcha. Okay, now we hear that it kind of took on, it started anyway, taking on more political significance in 1834. And mm-hmm. why is why is that year important? What's going on? What changed kind of the tenor of the of the holiday? Yeah, so that's kind of where we see sort of the first modern Saint Jean Baptiste Day um, celebration. So. Um, in 1834, um, there's an organization founded in um, Quebec, the province that was then known as Lower Canada, but in what we would now think of as Quebec, sure. uh, called the Association Saint-Jean-Baptiste, um, the St. John the Baptist Society. That was, so that was founded in 1834, um, and they pretty quickly um, designated June 24th to be, um, they, they took advantage of kind of the popularity of the Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day celebration and, and put on sort of a... Uh, an event that would be a celebration of French Canadian history and culture. Um, and so it was kind of a, um, you know, it was a, it was a big, um, it was sort of, it was a way of sort of launching their own organization, but also tying it into this sense of French Canadian identity and, and history. Um, and I think a big part of it is, you know, a big part of the context here is that, you know, this is a time of sort of particularly growing awareness among French Canadians living in Canada. Um, obviously, by 1834, we're in this period where um, it's been under British rule um, for a number of decades, for a couple sure. of generations. Um, and it's only a few years after that that we see in 1837 um, the the outbreak of this rebellion in Lower Canada and the, that's sometimes called the Patriot Uprising for folks who are pushing for more representation sure. um, for French Canadians in the government and um, even some folks who are pushing for sort of an independent um, province. Um, so it's, it's a time of sort of rising nationalism and national identity among French Canadians. And, Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day and the, the Saint-Jean-Baptiste Society uh, are sort of at the center of that. And one thing I read someplace, I wonder if you could comment on, which I thought it was kind of fascinating, that almost a, another motive uh, for the day taking on kind of almost a mo- what it became later on, almost the, mm-hmm. the modern appearance, was the fact that all the fact that all these Irish were now moving in to Montreal. And they had mm-hmm. their St. Patrick's Day, they had their parade. So now these... French Canadian nationalists are like, hey, we need our parade too. Let's have a St. Jean Baptiste Day. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, this is a period in which like there's a growing amount of Irish immigration to Quebec as well. So yeah, you're right. They're being exposed to this. And that's part of the, you know, the the main organizer of the Saint Jean Baptiste Day was a man named uh, Ludger Duvernay. Um, and he was um, a newspaper publisher and sort of a 
a thought leader in some of these um, early nationalist um, movements. Um, but yeah, he's said to have attended a, a St. Patrick's Day parade uh, in the years before and sort of taking his inspiration from that. So yeah, I mean, sure. you know, they share a number of characteristics in terms of the, the parades and the marches and things that um, are part of each celebration. Yeah. And what, so what do these parades look like? Like who's marching in these parades? As they grow in size, you see sort of uh, it's an opportunity for um, a lot of the French Canadian societies to get together, um, sort of to have these parades that are not that dissimilar from what we think of, like I say, the uh, for a St. Patrick's Day parade or, you know, even like a Fourth of July or Memorial Day parade in the United States. There, there are often marching bands, um, banners, um, people will be sort of singing or chanting. They will often have sort of slogans on their banners and placards so sometimes you know and sometimes these things have a more political nature as we were just sort of talking about and so they're you know and often um especially in these early ones in canada there might be political speeches and that sort of thing um but they're often you know when you see them especially when they come to new england they're often a chance for sort of different societies to come together and sort of show the unity of the french canadian community and to sort of parade through both the french canadian sort of part of town but also you know, the whole city and sort of show, you know, the strength of the community and the different institutions that they have. Sure. One thing I think is kind of a fun little sidebar I was reading about that these parades often featured a curly haired child with a sheep, uh-huh. which is always important. You have to depict St. Right. John the Baptist as a curly haired child with a sheep. The child is chosen to represent um, the young St. John the Baptist, um, who, um, you know, in the biblical tradition is, uh, you know, one of the things he's most famous for is his... Um, uh, discovery of you know the young uh, Jesus as a boy and um, sort of paving the way for Jesus's arrival and so the um, the the young curly haired child blonde curly haired child usually it sort of represents a young Saint John the Baptist and the the sheep represents kind of the Lamb of God that he's I think in one of the Gospels is specifically you know that wording is used sure he's telling people about the Lamb of God so um, that's usually what was chosen um, and you can see that you know in in a lot of these um, you know, when I worked at the Franco-American collection, we would have a whole had a whole series of different uh, curly-haired boys through the years, and some of them were repeat <laughs> people, and some of them were one-offs. But um, and you know, after a while, they one of the things that I liked there was you know, after a while, you could see how the tradition changed when you know, there were fewer farms around, probably, and that sort of thing. You know, they would have a different lamb every year for a while, and then at one point, somebody came up with the idea of just sort of um, taxidermying the the sheep they already <laughs> had and just carrying That's that funny. around with them. So. In my office at the collection there, I used to be very close to this uh, stuffed sheep that was <laughs> looking at me. It had been That's on the parade, amazing. so, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. Uh, there was another shift I want to mention before we really get into how we're celebrating New England. Because uh, we talked about the shift in, you know, the 1834. But mm-hmm. there's another shift in how it was celebrated in Quebec in the 1960s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, there's a shift in everything in Quebec in the 1960s, 70s. Right. And it seems like Saint, how St. Jean-Baptiste was celebrated is clearly among those changes holiday had always been kind of celebrated in with this connection to um you know french canadian identity and nationalism um but as you say sort of in the 60s and 70s as you know kind of wrapped up as part of the um quiet revolution in quebec um the hospital the the holiday sorry it's sort of um the holiday is kind of uh, secularized in a lot of ways, so it becomes less about sort of the religious element to it. You know, it had been very tightly wrapped up with the church, as with a lot of things in Quebec. Um, and so it becomes much more focused on sort of culture, uh, culture and art and the history uh, and becomes they really are branding it as a national holiday. And so it's very much in line with the separatist movement um, and this idea of it not just being about sort of the French Canadian 
culture as, as a people, but as a, as a nation and um, as a potential you know, future independent nation. So it becomes rebranded as the Fête Nationale. Um, so it's not even officially known as St. John the Baptist Day anymore, although it is kind of, it maintains a lot of the traditions. Um, so it becomes known as the Fête Nationale, the national holiday. Um, and it's, it's, um, they, it's, you know, the, the celebration of it is publicly supported and publicly funded by the province of Quebec, I believe, still. And it's a pretty big deal. That's cool. And then, I would imagine that it may have, because you mentioned the separatist movement, I wonder, did it play a little bit of a role anyway in 1980, 1995, those kind of referendums? Yeah, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I know there were certain, you know, certainly some of the politicians, it was, you know, it's an event where where I think some of the politicians have been involved in that and some of the big moments of, you know, creating French-Canadian identity in modern times have been put up with that. I don't know if there's particular um, connections with the independence movement, but there may well be. Gotcha. All right, so moving down then to New England, when do we start seeing Saint-Jean-Baptiste parades, festivals in the New England area? More or less sort of as soon as you get large numbers of French-Canadians in these periods, um, in these towns in this period. So... You know, um, as we said, it's kind of, it's been, the idea has sort of um, popped up and, and been established in 1834, continues through the 1840s and 50s. Um, and then you start to see, um, you know, you see some early French Canadians in New England, even, you know, even in the 1830s and 40s, but you really start seeing more and more folks arriving in the 1870s. And so that's when you actually start seeing these Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day um, celebrations in the United States as well. So. You know, the, the, in the city of Lewiston, Maine, which is the one that I'm most familiar with, um, sure. the Saint-Jean-Baptiste um, Society and then the what actually becomes the dominant French-Canadian organization in the city, the Institut Jacques Cartier, um, is founded in 1872. Um, and um, they put on a Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day celebration that year um, and sort of every year for a number of years thereafter. So... Um, and there's, you really start seeing it in those 1870s, and you see that in other towns across New England. They're all sort of, and some of these are linked together. You know, the um, the leaders in these communities are communicating with each other. They're sort of reading um, similar newspapers, keeping in touch with other societies in Quebec. And a lot of these uh, Saint Jean Baptiste societies are part of a network, um, and so they are sort of, you know, in some ways coordinating and drawing ideas from each other. Um, but you see them in Massachusetts and Connecticut, Rhode Island, all in the same, uh, New Hampshire, all in Vermont, all in the same period in those 1870s and popping up through the you know, 1880s and 1890s. One of the organizations you mentioned is something that came up a number of times when I was reading kind of the history of the holiday in New England, the Institut Jacques Cartier. Can you mm-hmm. just give us just some background? What is What was that organization about? So Lewiston is a little unusual in that the the main organization is this Institute uh, Jacques Cartier. In many um, in many towns in New England, they would have a uh, they would have their own Société Saint Jean Baptiste. Um, right. Apparently, one of the stories is that uh, in Lewiston there were two different groups. There was the Institute Jacques Cartier, and there was uh, and there was a Society Saint Jean Baptiste, and they actually merged pretty early on um, because they were trying to do the same thing. Sure. And the reason they kept the Jacques Cartier name was because that was a group that already had their flags and banners printed up and easier <laughs> than doing new ones so <laughs> which is quite a practical reason oh, so absolutely. I, I believe that in lewiston the institute jacques cartier got its start partly from trying to raise funds for the new uh, franco-american parish church um in the city and um, there was already there already was a catholic church but it was um a lot of irish parishioners there and there were enough french canadians that they wanted their own church um and so the the jacques cartier society 
was uh, formed to sort of help raise donations for that. Um, and so at, in, even from the beginning had this initial sort of association with the local parish, um, but it was largely sort of, it was also largely independent from the parish, even though it, it coordinated activities with them. Um, and a lot of the members were sort of some of the leading, um, what you might think of as like the professional men in the Franco-American community. So the sure. folks who happened to be lawyers and doctors, um, newspaper, you know, eventually the newspaper publishers and things. So and that was kind of typical. You would see these folks who would be, you know, more likely to be college educated, a little more middle class. They're often the folks who are leading these societies and sort of helping to, you know, they saw it as part of their role, I think, to help support sort of the Franco-American identity when they're in this new country and sort of help make sure that, it, you know, those traditions and that culture was was maintained. I'm curious, when this first got going in the 18, 1860s, 1870s, was it primarily a religious holiday here in New England or did it take on meaning for the survivance? Was it, did it have a political tinge right from the jump here in New England? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's always had a little bit of a political tinge with that survivance um, and, so, you know, maintenance of culture and heritage, um, partly because that is, that is also connected with the religious element in New England. Um, you know, the parish is sure. kind of the main, inst- is, you know, one of the main, pillars and institutions that helps to maintain that identity and you know the fact that the the Jacques Cartier Society in Lewiston was founded to help raise funds for the church kind of tells you that the two are sort of connected right the the, the folks who found the society see that as part of keeping the French Canadian identity so they have their own parish with their own institutions and their own language and the, maintaining their own community so um, it was definitely a um, definitely kind of it's hard to sort of disentangle the two I mean I think the the these events are largely you know they're not although there's a religious religious aspect to it all the time and you see this with other parades and events in the community too you know there's there's usually sort of an open air mass and a, and a blessing of the parade before it sets out you know there's often um often the clergy kind of play a role in some of the preparations um but largely they're sort of organized by these outside and slightly separate societies so they're sort of connected from and not entirely separate from the church but they're also like not just church sponsored sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the things that struck me when I was getting ready for this interview was just the, the scale of these celebrations. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, I, you read, you know, shipping in thousands of people to mm-hmm. attend. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one in Nashville was in 1888, 9,000 men marching mm-hmm. in this parade. And every town you could possibly think of that had, you know, more seemingly anybody that had more than three French Canadians in their town is having a parade. Like tons of tons of towns all over the place did this. It was It was crazy. You know, most towns are trying to have some kind of celebration among the local community. I mean, I think one of the things that you see is really fun is that the um, the cooperation between communities, too. So sometimes when you see those really big parades, you know, like the 9000 folks in Nashua, you know, that's partly the result of a whole bunch of, you know, it's also when they're holding a French Canadian convention. Sure. There. And so, you know, there are there are even some folks coming down from Canada and folks from other states and neighboring towns. And so you see that, you know, when I've been doing my research on sort of uh, what's been happening, the Le Messager in 1894 project that I told you guys about before. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that you can, um, one of the things they're talking about there is about how this year they're going to have a big celebration in Brunswick instead of in Lewiston, and they're inviting these other societies to go to Brunswick and participate in their parade. So, you know, they, they're they coordinating even between sort of neighboring communities and sort of having bigger parades by sort of pooling their resources, which is kind of fun. So again, it's not just about like the clubs in, you know, Lewiston, putting on a, a show, it's about having folks from neighboring communities sort of contributing to them as well and rotating between those in different years. 
That's awesome. You'll probably learn a lesson from that among French Canadian organizations today, I think. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, I think the I think one of their purposes was to show that, you know, the the bigger obviously the bigger and more impressive the parade, the more it kind of sent a message, I think, to this implicit message to like the English speaking community of, you know, we're here and we're a significant community and you know, you should be paying attention to our needs and interests as well. That's cool. And one of the things you note in one of your articles is that a lot of the businesses shut down for the day. Yeah. And that's that seems kind of crazy to me. We're at a time you hear like the mills never shut down. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't have the holidays like we have now. The mills got to keep working because the mills aren't working. The mill boss doesn't make money. But on that day, it was it was a shutdown. Yeah, I think it's pretty. Um, you're right. It is pretty remarkable. I think the. Um, I think you know when you look at you know I've done some other research on sort of when uh, Franco Americans trying to make New Year's Day a holiday, uh, and which wasn't particularly celebrated among the Puritans of New England, and it's kind of a similar story there. You know the factory owners and the mill mill bosses you know didn't want to have to shut down, and you sure. know typically they had multiple shifts, so they just kept running the machinery you know twenty four hours a day. Um, but you know what you see is these Franco Americans just walking off the job and don't turn <laughs> up, um, and so eventually they just sort of have to give in because their workforce is so predominantly. Franco-American that if they can't find anyone to work on Saint Jean Baptiste Day, they may as well close the place down. And yeah, I think that's just, that's the kind of tactic that's especially effective in these in the boom eras. You know, there are some times which are particularly hard, and places are, you know, places are closing or laying people off because there isn't enough work when there's a depression or something. Sure. When there isn't, and when the when the mills are booming, what you see is that. Um, there's, there's an interesting power dynamic because they need workers so much that like even if you know if you don't show up for work especially when a whole bunch of you don't show up for saint jean baptiste day you know if the boss fires you then you just go to the mill next door and can pick up the same job for a similar pay um so it is interesting that even though the working conditions are really terrible in all of these places you know the workers also have a certain amount of power in some respect um when their labor is in demand Oh, that's awesome. Again, this is a story you don't hear very often from that right. period. And another thing that I thought was pretty fascinating in one of your articles, you mentioned that it wasn't just Franco-Americans who showed up for these parades. And I guess it's got to be somewhat similar to how it's not just Irish who show up for St. Patrick's Day parades now. But um, lots of people showed up for these parades, which I think is real cool from my perspective because all we hear is how terribly all these french canadians were treated when they Mm -hmm. arrived but now they're having their festival and all of a sudden we have non-french who are showing up to watch yeah yeah i think that's you know another motivation for having these big celebrations it's sort of it becomes like a community event and it's like you know just in the same way that like everyone turns out for the fourth of july parade they turn out a couple of weeks earlier for the um, saint jean baptiste day parade um and they yeah they make an effort i think to especially once these parades get going that they're not just parading in little canada areas they're going into the you know the main streets and the english part of town and sort of uh, you know showing off their presence but also you know it's providing entertainment for those folks so you see and you see sometimes you know depending on the parade and the era um you see you know it's not just french societies that are invited to participate you see sometimes there are irish societies taking part in sort That's of a awesome. show of solidarity you know you're also sometimes seeing um uh, even just some general sort of civic uh, organizations and things like that. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, and especially in some towns like Lewiston, the, these people just start looking forward to these events and it's just really fun. So um, everyone, everyone likes a good parade. I think. Uh, yeah, you got to have, a, you don't need an excuse to party. I like that. That's cool. Another thing that caught my attention is there are a number of references to French from France 
in in some of these parades. Uh, Patrick Lacroix noted that in Lowell Celebration, 1873, there was a, a banner with Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. Mm. In the Fall River, 1883, they were flying the French tricolor. Um, there was in Manchester por- portraits of Napoleon being displayed through these parades. And I thought that was interesting because all of that French history happened well after the French Canadians' ancestors were already in New France. So I thought that was kind of cool to have that tie back to France. It is pretty interesting. Uh, and you see that in some of the, you know, the, definitely the use of the French tricolor you see all over the place. I mean, so, yeah, I think part of that is because there are sort of limited numbers of like French Canadian symbols that they're using. So, you know, sure. there isn't like, um, you know, the Fleur de Lise flag that we now associate with Quebec isn't, hasn't been adopted um, in the, in this period. So um, they don't have like a French Canadian flag in there. Right. So, oh, that's cool. And yeah, there's, there's not even a Canadian flag yet, so they're not going to be, you know, they're unlikely to be using the Union Jack, the British Union Jack. So like the <laughs> French, French tricolor is sort of, it partly represents their French heritage. And so that's part of that. Well, there are two things. I think there's this kind of a conscious attempt in some ways to sort of brand themselves a little bit with some of these French things that are probably familiar to Americans. So I think there's probably kind of like a savvy sort of thing going on there. I think there's also a genuine, uh, even though, you know, the culture of French Canada is, is, you know, pretty different and diverges from the culture of metropolitan France. You know, significantly in some ways, I think there is sort of some affinity for that and some connectedness with that, especially among, you know, some of the folks who are organizing these parades are the doctors and lawyers um, and, you know, the folks who are, you know, potentially more likely to be college educated and are more likely to be sort of reading novels and things. You know, you see some of these same folks are organizing um, musical events and theatrical societies and like the the plays that those folks are putting on in these New England cities are mostly plays that were written in France in the 1800s, not French Canadian works. Um, so they're definitely sort of adopting elements of sort of metropolitan French culture um, as part of their, you know, signifying their Frenchness as well. I'm not sure how much of that sort of trickles down to sort of the everyday folks right. um, who are probably more likely to be familiar with the, you know, the folk tales of Quebec and the, um, the traditional songs and they are, you know, new books and plays and things that are coming out of France. But there is a little bit of a merging of those two things in this period. Okay. And one other thing I want to touch on um, as far as flags that you, flags that you see at, at these parades, um, you read almost always. There's also a lot of American flags. Yeah, yeah. Fly through, and you got pictures of George Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm assuming that's a message too. Right? They, hey, we're we're down with Team USA as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they they are really sort of hyper aware of this. I mean, I think we've talked before, and you've had other guests who have spoken really eloquently of sort of the discrimination that French Canadians face, and so they're really keen to show that, like, yes, they're immigrants, and yes, they're proud of their culture, um, but they're also really proud of being Americans as well. Um, and so they're really emphasizing both the French and the American and Franco-Americans. So every time, you know, if you look at these photographs of these parades and things, almost every time you see a French tricolor, you see an American stars and stripes alongside it. Um, and they're really trying to say that, you know, these can both be true at the same time. You know, we're not going to give up our French culture and heritage, um, but that doesn't make us any less American as well. Um, and so, you know, the one quote that I liked that was from a, an account of the parade in Lewiston said, um, this was Louis Martel, who was a doctor and one of the leaders of the Institut Jacques Cartier. Um, he said, we French Canadians love the traditions and the tongue of old France, but we are true Americans and we love America best. So it, that awesome. sort of encapsulates <laughs> a lot of that. Um, and the motto of the um, Institut Jacques Cartier was um, 
loyal mais canadien francaise so loyal but french canadian so again saying we might we still think of sure. ourselves as french canadian but we're, we're we're loyal americans too oh that's cool now when do we start seeing like these parades start dying out like how long does do these giant parades and giant festivals last because obviously they're not around anymore right right yeah and there are some places where they still have sort of some saint jean baptiste celebrations but they're certainly i don't think they're any on the scale that they were I mean, I think you you sort of see them petering out a little more sort of as we get into the later part of the 20th century, so like 1970s, 1980s. Um, I think, you know, in Lewiston, they continued for a really long time, um, but you see them sort of getting smaller and moving to smaller venues um, as the years go on. Um, I think sort of part of sort of trying to think about like why that is, yeah. um, it's kind of interesting. I think you see, um, I think you see this a little bit in sort of, all cultures uh, in the U.S. in this period that there's just like a little, there's a little less of this like civic community culture that we might think of, you know, where folks do belong to like three or four different societies um, and take part in parades and things, whereas folks are a little more, just culture in general is changing where people are more likely to be you know, like watching television instead of like going out watching parades or they're more likely to be, um, you know, moving from town to town every few years rather than growing up and staying in the same town for generations. Um, but I think those are also sort of particularly influential on immigrant communities like the Franco-American community. Um, so, you, you know, folks aren't all packed into the same neighborhoods anymore. Um, they're not necessarily, you know, staying and raising a family where they were born. They might be moving to other places. Um, they're not sort of in the same world of sort of exclusively French spoken literature and, and entertainment. So, you know, they're not just listening to the traditional French music in kitchen parties that they might have been in the 1800s. You know, they're now listening to English language radio and television. Um, and so I think there's, there's a bit of an erosion of sort of Franco American community in general in that period. Uh, and then I think you've got maybe more or just as significantly, um, you've just got this. Um, general propensity for like less community spirit and organizing that you see across the country in this period too. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, in one of your articles, I think you asked the question, which I think is fascinating, but thinking about it since I read it, um, why do we still have St. Patrick's Day? Mm. So we got a St. Patrick's Day parade in Manchester still. Yeah, yeah. Day. Uh, we still in Manchester, we still have a St. Jean-Baptiste celebration through the Franco-American Center, but we don't have a parade anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yet this, still every, but yet this, every year you have the, giant shamrocks painted on the elm street we got the <laughs> irish flags hanging from the poles so that that celebration survived in manchester but Jean baptiste did not at least to that scale it is a really interesting parallel because you know the i mean in some ways the histories of them are very similar and as we've said you know they're already the saint jean baptiste is already drawing on some of the traditions in the earliest period from um saint patrick's day but like saint patrick's day sort of survives and grows and flourishes whereas saint jean baptiste day sort of dies out a little more i mean i think there are like there are a couple of things that come to mind like one is what is maybe sort of the straightforward explanation or in some ways which is maybe that you know i think saint patrick's day has the advantage that um it really took off and became it was cemented in cities like boston and new york and chicago sure. that became like really major um celebrations and very high profile um and in those areas you had irish americans sort of you had these machine politics and irish americans basically ran city hall and played in those cities um and the saint patrick's day was kind of like was a really important place for politicians to sort of prove themselves and show up um, and so it became like a really huge part of the community and a cornerstone of the community in the way that there wasn't 
you know, you, you did see sort of French Canadians becoming more involved in the power structures in places like Lewiston or Manchester or Woonsocket, but you didn't see them not in sort of the really large cities like that, where the, the celebration, where St. Patrick's Day could spread out to be a national holiday, you know, with the Macy's Day parade and things. Sure. Um, so I think that probably, you know, I think that kind of thing probably helped. But I think, yeah, there, there may also just be another bit that is like less harder to put your finger on, but I think maybe it's just the difference between sort of the Irish community that were, were able to sort of assimilate and pass into sort of being sort of good immigrants or pass into sort of the the, the wider American story more easily because they were English speaking. Sure. Um, and so I think, you know, there's also some of that where it's like Irish immigrants were sort of seen as being sort of good immigrants or acceptable immigrants like earlier than French Canadians might have been. Um, and so I think there's probably some of that as well. It was easier for English speaking folks and the sort of older stock Yankee population to get on board with St. Patrick's Day than it was for them to sort of try and take part or get on board with uh, Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. Okay, this is cool. Last question for me. I know in Manchester or at least Southern New Hampshire, uh, we still celebrate St. Jean-Baptiste, always have. Now we've it's kind of been merged into the giant put Sinfest festival. That mm-hmm. is we always have that weekend, which is which is a huge event for us. What does St. Jean-Baptiste look like in Lewiston, Maine, in that area now? Is there anything still being done? Um, so there have been some attempts kind of recently um, in Lewiston specifically. So, you know, the I think the, the actual sort of the parade and, and the more sort of uh, the more traditional activities did sort of uh, wind up and just sort of finish in the probably in the 1990s might have been the last time that was happening. But there have been some attempts to have sort of events on that day, um, both at the Franco-American Collection where I used to work and then at the um, Franco-American Center there in downtown Lewiston. Um, and so they have folks have been doing some things there and that's often involves like a little bit of a musical celebration, um, stuff like that. There's also a festival in um, in Biddeford um, called La Comessa. Um, and the date of that has changed sometimes. Um, I think, and they have been doing that in June. Um, and I think they're, I think this year it's going to be in June as well. So that kind of has some of those elements of a, um, of a Saint-Jean-Baptiste day, even though it's not called that. Um, and so that's a big French Canadian festival in Biddeford, Maine. Um, so there have been a few different places that have done uh, things on and around Saint-Jean-Baptiste, even if it's not sort of in quite the same tradition as it had been, um, you know, 50 years ago. Sure. Well, thank you very much. There is no way I could have had a podcast called The French-Canadian Legacy without an episode dedicated to St. Jean-Baptiste Day. So James Mile, again, check out his work, Parlez-vous American. He's an awesome blogger. He does a ton of work. James, thank you again for joining us for the second time. This is very cool. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to do it. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode. 
This program is recorded at the Conquer TV podcasting studio. The views and opinions expressed during this podcast are not necessarily those of Conquer TV. The producer is solely responsible for its content.